I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Malachi today. <clears throat> We're going to talk about honoring the Lord. We're going to talk about putting him right back in the first place. As I quoted earlier, Colossians is one of my favorite verses in the whole entire Bible. It says in Colossians that he is the firstborn of the dead, that he may come to have first place in everything. That was the way it was in the beginning. The Bible says by him all things were created, through him all things were created, and for him all things were created. Creation exists for him. Creation exists through him. So he is the point of life. He is the reason of life. If anyone asks you, what is the meaning of life, you point straight up, it's him. He's the meaning. He's the purpose. He's the point. He's the source. He is life. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I know the way. People who treat him just as a nice little teacher, nice little philosopher, they said Jesus pointed the way. Yes, he pointed the way, and he pointed directly at himself. He said, I am the way. And then he said, I am the truth. He doesn't say, I got a little bit of truth, but so do they. He said, I am the truth. Did you know there are Christians who think they know all of the answers, and yet if you don't have an intimate relationship with him, you don't know the truth. You might know the right answers, but that's not the truth. This isn't a big trivia game, is it? I mean, come on. The Pharisees knew all the right answers. They knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. Jesus said to the Pharisees, get this. This might shock you a bit. But he said, you think if you search those scriptures, you're going to find life. He said, you search them back and forth trying to find life. He said, but if you'd been paying attention, you'd know that they speak of me. In other words, this Bible without a relationship with Jesus won't help you because it is the word of God. Now, I honor the word of God. We believe in the word of God. But without Jesus, he's the point. So having the right answers in children's church does not make you right. <laughs> doesn't make you, doesn't say, you know, that's not necessarily the, the truth of it. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And then he said this, didn't say I have life. He said, I am the life. In another place, he said, I am the resurrection and the life, which means without him, there's no life. Without him, there's no resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet will he live. Anybody here read the tale of two cities? Anybody here go to school? <laughs> if you haven't, no judgment. I'm just gauging the audience here. It's my favorite, no one of my favorite novels. Not my favorite book, but my favorite novel. Uh, probably, well, it's up there. There's probably a top five. And it's up there. It's by Charles Dickens. And there's a moment, and, and that verse always was meaningful to me, but as weird as this is going to sound to you, it meant even more to me when I read that book because there's a moment, and I won't give it away. <laughs> I say that like you're going to go home and read it tonight. Um, <laughs> But there's a, there's a moment, and we all, you guys have favorite books I haven't read, so please, let's not, let's not get too weird about it. But there's a moment where, where a man's going to the guillotine. It's set in the, in the French Revolution, and so you know after the French Revolution, they overthrew the monarchs, but then they went a little crazy and just started executing everybody that they didn't like the way they looked at them or, you know, had too fancy of a wig. And so they, this guy's going to the guillotine, and it, it was so real to me that, because 
what he kept saying, his last words, his last thoughts going, in, going through his mind as he was about to be executed. And this guy was a rogue. He wasn't known most of his life as a good man, but uh, God found him at the end of his life. And as he was going to the guillotine, those, that verse was going through his head, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet will he live. Those were his last thoughts, his last words. And so I thought about that because I thought, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to go uh, I don't know how my life's going to end. I don't know if I'm going to be around until Jesus comes back. I don't know if, if I'm going to go at an old age or if I, if I were uh, asked to give my life for Jesus, uh, I, I know I would do that. So I don't know what the end of my life looks like, and I'm okay with that. I don't really want to know what the end of my life looks like. I know I'll live a, a long life be, because he said, with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. However, if I was 33 and uh, the time came in persecution, I was asked to give my life for Jesus, I'd ask him, is it my time to go? If he said yes, I'm happy to go. If he said no, I'd say, all right, I'll be like the Apostle John, and uh, you can try to execute me, but it won't work. So whatever he says. But I, I, I don't know the end, but... I've thought about this. What would it look like? And I imagine I'd like that to be one of my last thoughts. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I spent, I spent a good chunk of the day yesterday. Is, I don't want you to think I'm weird. But I spent a good chunk of the day yesterday in the cemetery. Still thinking I'm not weird. With a camera. Go on, hang with me. <laughs> Um, there, there, there are people that are looking for uh, gra- graves of their ancestors or they're doing their genealogy and they need a picture of a tombstone they live very far away so somebody in Lloyd can go and take a picture and send it to them so I was doing that for some people and, and I just kind of liked it because it was quiet and I got to do a treasure hunt and it was fun for me but it was so interesting when you're faced with all of these tombstones and the person's not there and you look at it and you go What's left of this life? What's left of this person? Their bodies turning back to dirt. There's a simple tombstone, many times on the tombstone. In fact, I've seen that verse on tombstones. What's left of this person? What would they write? Because there's a monument, not just in a, a cemetery somewhere, but there's a monument in people's hearts, what they left behind. And, and to be honest, I want that to be my legacy. That when I left, I, I, my hope was in Christ alone. That my hope of resurrection, that my hope of life, that I didn't go to death fearful. I didn't go to death scared. I went to death just happy and knowing that I would see my Jesus. I, I want that to be a legacy that I leave. So in all those things, he is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the way. He is the truth. He's the point. He's the reason for existence. So if he's the reason for existence, he should be the reason at the beginning. He should be the reason at the end. He should be the reason right in the middle. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. He said, you've done some nice things. You've done some good things. You guys are doing good work, but here's the problem. You've left your first love. In other words, the love that you had at the beginning, you've lost some of that. And a lot of times we start out at a place when we get born again, we're so thankful, we're so happy, we're so excited that there is a love that comes out of us for him and for his people that is so real that we say, what was I missing before? This is the point. This is the reason for life. But if you're not careful, you get into a routine of just doing stuff and you forget what the point is. 
And we want to put Jesus right back at the center, right back at the top of the pyramid, right back where he belongs in first place. He told the Israelites, his chosen people, he instructed them to bring the first fruits of their cattle, the first fruits of their grain, the first fruits of whatever they had. And first fruits meant a couple of things. And number one meant it was the first you had. You didn't pay your debtors and then, and then give something to God. The very first of your harvest you gave to him. But there was something a little bit more, uh, there was something even bigger than that, which was that they were to give not just the first thing that comes, but the best. First also means the best. And that doesn't make a lot of sense in the natural mind, especially when they were giving um, offerings of, of, of livestock to the Lord. Now I want you to think about how many uh, ranchers or anybody, farmers, ranchers, anybody that raises animals, how many we have in the crowd today? All right, cool. So the rest of you, you know how it works, right? You know how breeding works. You know that if you want, you want a good herd, you've got to continually breed your best with your best and it gets better, right? Um, the Davidsons, I know, pay a lot of money, and I'm sure Anita's parents and many of you, you pay a lot of money for um, a good specimen. I don't want to get too graphic, but you, you want to breed with the best so that you can have the best, that their, their, their livestock will be the best. And pretty soon your herd is, is top quality because you've bred out the bad ones and you've bred the good ones. Now, ask yourself how you feel if the Lord said, just as he said to the Israelites, I want you to bring your best calves, the best of your livestock, the finest specimens, bring them to me as a sacrifice, as an offering. They didn't get to breed them. They just got to bring them to the Lord. And he accepted it. Now, in the natural mind, what you say is that doesn't make sense. They're going to be giving all away all their best and so they're going to be left with the losers that are going to breed together. And pretty soon they're going to have a cross-eyed herd that just, just you know, is, and, and there's nothing wrong with cross-eyed, but, you know, <laughs> ranchers are shallow. What can I say? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Leah, have you ever seen a cross-eyed, uh, a cross-eyed cow ever win first prize at the, no, you haven't. No, it just doesn't happen. You breed out your best and, and you figure you're going to have a, less quality of a herd but the reality of it was that when you gave God your best he blessed all the rest I'm not trying to rhyme but I did <laughs> when you gave God your best he blessed everything else Keith and I were talking about this Keith I hope he doesn't mind we were talking last night about, about honoring the Lord and he talked about how his father always taught him that, you know, you guys know how it is. Even if you're not a farmer, you've been around farmers living in this area, and you know when it's seeding and when it's harvest, it's go, 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 right? You're, you're in the tractor. If it's nighttime, we've got lights on tractors now. You just go late. Uh, and I'm just saying tractor to mean all of these different machinery because I'm, I'm unlearned in the area. So I'm just like a little kid. When I say tractor, it means all of the machines, all of them. And so you'd stay on these machines late at night, you know, I know it's a big, it's a big uh, tradition in many families to go out and if they're going to eat, they eat together on the machines, right out in the field. And uh, so as Keith was telling me, and I've known many people to do this, 
even when it was like, we've got to get this in. And in Canada, it's so important because you never know when that first snow is going to come. He was telling me that his father had taught them that no matter how rushed we are, we will not harvest on Sunday. We will not work on Sunday. We will feed the animals. They need to be fed. Jesus said that, right? He said, on the Sabbath day, do you muzzle the ox? No, you feed your ox, right? And so he said, we'll do what has to be done. But no matter how burdened we are, we will not sacrifice the Lord's day. Because they did that, he was telling me that though their neighbors would struggle to get things done on time, they always got their crop in. They always got it done. That requires trust in the Lord. That's honoring God. You honor God. Now, here's what he told. He told the, the Israelites to give him one of every seven days where they wouldn't do any work. They would just make that a day of rest and worship. He said, give me one day and watch what I do with the other six. And because they gave him one out of seven days, the other six were way more productive than a full seven would be. Do you know... We've walked away from this concept in our modern culture, especially, can I say this, in this city, because our idols that we've placed on our mantelpiece are money and time. And the reason time is so important is because we use our time to get more money. And so we've used them as these idols. How do you know it's an idol? You know it's an idol when it takes priority over God. You know, it's an idol when you choose it over him. Oh, I haven't chosen money. Really? I know I have at times. Now, I've certainly worked to get away from that, but we all have. Where you make a decision, not based on what the Lord said, but based on what would be better for your career. Or you uh, could get the time off work, but you really need those extra hours, so you're going to work them instead of going to church or instead of the time you were supposed to spend with your family or whatever. That's how you know it's an idol. So in this city, we've, we've seen that. And, and if you're not careful, I want you to, to know that when you come into the presence of God and you come into the family of God, there's no condemnation. But I want you to get detoxed from the world. I want you to feel like this is heavenly rehab and you can just get here and get, just get, get washed off of the attitudes that are out there that tell you all you need to do is spend all your time to get, 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 so that someday, magically, you'll have all this stuff and be actually be able to enjoy it. But most of them never do. You buy some boats, go to the lake. Most of the time, you don't get to see your family that much at all because you've been working, working, working so that you could have money for your family. But what they really want more than that money is you. We know this, right? It is a struggle. It is going to be a fight for us to honor the Lord and give him the best, best of our time, the best of our produce, whatever comes out of our life, the best of us he's asking for. And I guarantee you, you give him what he asks, you give him what is his, and he will bless everything else. He instituted another thing in the Old Testament. It was the tithe. Now, Even before the law was given, there was tithing. See, tithing wasn't part of the law. Tithing was included in the law, but it wasn't instituted with the law. It existed before. We see Melchizedek giving to Abraham a tithe. Or sorry, I got it backwards. Abram giving to Melchizedek a tithe. Even before the Mosaic law. So it existed before and it existed after the law. And yet, 
It doesn't make sense in our natural mind to think of how, why, why would I do that? I mean, 10% of 100% leaves me only with 90%, and I can do more with 100 than I can do with 90. That's basic math. But what can you do with 90% of what God's got his hand in, as opposed to 90% that you're just doing on your own? You trust God, you give him 10, you give him more than 10, and you see what he does with the rest of it. You see, we've got to get back to the place where we trust him again, where we honor God with our first fruits instead of just saying, well, you know, this is what I've got left over. Do you guys remember the story of when Jesus was at the temple with his disciples and they were watching people give their offerings and they saw some really rich folks drops. I mean, it was back in the day when you didn't have a nice little envelope that you filled out. No one knew what you were giving. You might, it might be a check for a million. It might be uh, $3 in coins. Nobody would know how much you're giving in our offering. But back then you knew, you knew because money had weight to it. Money was defined by how much it weighed. It was literal silver or literal gold or, or it was livestock. You know, I mean, it, you couldn't just say this is worth this much, this piece of paper. My bank says this piece of paper is worth a lot of money. Here, take it. No, back then, it really was worth something. And so Jesus does not feel embarrassed or ashamed to stand there and watch everybody give. And he watches them give. And, I mean, I've said this before, so I hope I'm not being redundant but can you imagine if he did that at our church just kind of stood there and it's one thing if Jesus does it but he brought his disciples and he's commenting on everybody you mean like (laughs) how would you feel Jesus says okay come over here guys you 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 you. let's just talk about what people are giving let's comment no that's not very much oh that's good good job you know I mean you'd feel everybody be kind (laughs) of But that's what he was doing at the temple. He was watching and he was commenting. And he didn't just say he was watching what they were giving. It says he was watching how they were giving. And he was talking to his disciples and he saw some real rich folks bring like tons. And then they saw this lady that brought what they called a mite, which we know probably in in our day and age would be less than a penny's worth. And Jesus knew something about her life because he was hearing from God. And so he knew that as she gave that little bit, that was all she had. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. As a pastor, I would have a hard time letting a little widow woman give the last of her money. I'd feel real hard letting that happen. I'd be, my, my nature would be to say, keep that, keep it, keep it. It's okay, we got lots. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, all right. He rejoices, he smiles, and he says, this woman has given more than those rich people because those rich people gave out of their surplus. Do you know what surplus is? It's what you have left over. What you have left over when the bills are paid. What you have left over when you've, got, you've gotten what you need for your family. Then God gets the rest. He said, they gave out of their surplus. And he treats it with disdain like they're not giving anything. He said, but this lady, she gave all that she had to live on. Now, if that lady was going to go home and starve to death, I don't think Jesus would be happy. Do you think he would? Jesus who loved the poor and the widows? Do you think he would have been happy if he knew that she was going home to starve? No. But what he did know was that the father that she was giving to was going to take care of her needs. Just like the widow in the Old Testament when Elijah came and was fed by her, Jesus knew God's going to take care of this lady. She's trusted him. And whoever puts their trust in him, the Bible says, will not be disappointed. So he rejoices. 
But now when I read that, I, I get a little bit sober for a moment because I think surplus, that's the way we're trained to give. Surplus is what you have left over. Oprah told me that's what I'm supposed to do. Isn't that good budgeting? What the Lord was asking of the Israelites and what he asked for us today is to give him first and then everything else. Now, I want to read you something in Malachi. We often, uh, you've, when you hear people preach out of Malachi, specifically on the topic of giving, you usually hear a specific set of scriptures. I want to go a little bit further back if we can and see the context of it all. In Malachi chapter 1, Malachi 1.6, he says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? That's a big question. Where is my honor? This isn't an Old Testament question that God asks. It's, it's a universal question. I have to ask myself if he's asking it today. Now, once again, I'm not pointing anybody out. I probably need to point the finger at myself. But when the Lord says this, he says, where is my honor? Where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my respect? You know, I believe that Jesus is your friend. I believe that the Lord has come near to you, that you're meant to have a close relationship to him. Not distant, but close, right? Intimate. And yet... In that intimate relationship, there is also honor and respect and reverence. Isn't it wonderful? He calls us friends, and yet there is honor, and there is respect. And as much as Jesus is my homeboy, which I don't have the T-shirt, but apparently, I respect and honor him because that's who he is. He's God. And so he says, where's my honor? Where's my respect? says the Lord of hosts to you. <laughs> he just had to drop that Lord of hosts, which means I've got an army, by the way. Okay, right, cool. <laughs> says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Do you know what? We've, we talk about this every time this word comes up, but I want to make sure everybody understands it. Despise does not mean to hate. Despise means to take lightly, to take of no account. I don't think anybody who shows up at church no matter what church we're talking about, would say, I hate Jesus. If we're talking about a church that, on, that, that preaches Jesus, that honors Jesus. And yet he says, he's not talking about people hating him. He's talking about people taking him too lightly. Ta people not taking account of him. I want to ask you something. When you looked for your job, or when you were about to consider a promotion, or a change in employment... How far up or down the list was you talking to God about that? Was it on the list? Was it the only thing on the list? Was it kind of further down? It was after family and wisdom from other counselors. Because the Bible says in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will make your path straight. And so here he says, if I'm a master, where's my respect? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. doesn't mean they hated him. They thought they were serving him, but they were taking him lightly. And the Lord does not want to be taken lightly. He said, but you say, how have we despised your name? Can you imagine if the Lord showed up today and said that? We'd all go like, what? How? 
He says this in verse 7. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifices and not evil, I want to make this very clear. They were not sacrificing humans. Please stay in your seat. In fact, the Lord speaks heavily against human sacrifice. Let's just settle that. But they were talking about the animals they brought. Remember I told you at the beginning, God told them to bring their best. And it goes against natural thought to bring your best because you're breeding out the best. But not when God's in it. God blesses the the rest of them. Well, what they were doing was they were saying, here, it's just, we're just going to kill this thing anyways. I mean, the priests are going to eat it because that's how the priests were fed. The Levites were fed by the offerings. They would offer it to God and then the Levites would eat it. And he says, they're like, Man, what does it matter if it's blind? A blind cow tastes just as good as a cow that had two eyes that worked. Right? You don't eat a burger and go, oh, it tastes blind. (laughs) Tastes like it ran into a couple posts. I don't know. (laughs) You know, when you put your reasoning in place of God's command, you do stupid things in his eyes. We say, well, what is it? You know, we we say this all the time. Come on, it doesn't matter. We We use our good old common sense. But common sense is just that. It's common. His ways are much higher than common. His thoughts are much higher than common. And so when he says, I want you to give me your best, oh, well, what does it matter? Why don't you give him the blind one? He won't, I mean, it doesn't matter. They're just going to kill the thing right away. Might as well be one that we're going to kill anyways. He said, no, you've despised me when you've done that. You've defiled my altar. Gave me the blind Instead of your best. He said, is it not evil? Wow, ooh, he threw the E word around. He said, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? <laughs> There's the test, right? Go ahead. Why don't you offer it to the governor, see what he says when you pay your taxes. Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But will you not entreat God's favor that he might be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Like, oh my goodness. He's saying, here's what you're doing. You're giving God your not even close to best. And then you're saying, bless us, Lord. Oh, Lord, would you bless it? How many entrepreneurs or people that are self-employed, so that includes farmers, ranchers, entrepreneurs, how many of those own your own business? How many people in the room today? All right. Let me talk to you for a minute here. When, we, when you own your own business, all the pressure's on you. When you're self-employed, it all falls back on you. You got a guy that doesn't show up. You're the one, the buck stops here, right? You've got to carry the weight. You've got to carry the burden. I know that's a lot of pressure. You've got to make hard decisions. But here's the deal. You ask the Lord to bless your business, he would love to do that. But you ask the Lord to bless your business so that you're so blessed you can't come to church anymore? Does that make sense? Guys, if if it's affecting your relationship with him, your relationship with other believers, your relationship with your family, no matter how much money you're making, you're not blessed. Money does not equal blessing. It may be part of the blessing, but it is down the list. And here's the deal. God is not going to bless you out of a relationship with him. 
when the Israelites were in the wilderness, he told them, I am bringing you, I'm, I'm, I'm proving myself to you right now. I mean, they're in a place that they had no food and no water. And this is where they're supposed to live for 40 years. There were some oases here and there, but most of the places where they were was just desert. This is why, this is why they survived without, I mean, they, they had to fight some tribes here and there, but you know, this is why nobody wanted to live there. They were wandering in the wilderness because you do not just decide this is our new homeland. It had nothing. And so there were, there were little streams here that were poisonous and God made it clean for them to drink. There was a time where there was no water and God made it come out of a rock. And then God fed them for so long on manna. And manna, do you know what manna means in their language? What is it? Because no one knew what it was. They knew how it tasted, but they didn't know what it was. And it fell every night. Sorry, every morning it fell. And they found it on the ground. Now, most of us wouldn't want to eat stuff off the ground, but because God gave it, he kept it clean. He kept it holy. And here's the thing that he told them. He said, every day, I want you to go out there and I want you to collect that manna, but just enough for one day. Why? Because if they collect it for two days, here's what they're saying to God. I don't know that you're going to come through tomorrow. How often do we do that? Oh, you know, I need to put a, uh, I, I understand. I believe it's godly to save. If the Lord's telling you to save, start another account. I believe that's a good idea. He said he'd bless your storehouses. It's good to have a storehouse. But you've got to ask him what he wants you to do. If you're, saying, if you're trying to be reasonable and saying, well, I, I need to save up for the future, what you're saying is I don't know if God's going to supply for me in the future like he is right now. And he may tell you to save up for the future. If he does, do it. But don't do it because you don't trust him. And so they'd gather. He said, if you gather an extra day's worth, worms are going to eat that stuff. This food that he was giving them was so healthy, was so nutritious, that it wouldn't last for more than a day. That's pretty cool. So he said, if you try to gather for more than one day, worms will eat it. It won't be any good in the morning. Except for the Sabbath day. The day before the Sabbath, you gather two days work so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. And you'll, I'll make it last for two days. What was he teaching them through that? He was teaching them to trust him that if he did it today, he'll do it tomorrow. He was teaching them to rely fully on him. If God did not give us manna, we don't have anything. If God doesn't show up tomorrow, we're going to starve. Well, they knew they weren't going to starve because God is forever faithful. He's not wishy-washy. You've got to believe this. God is not schizophrenic. God is not a, a, a covenant breaker. He's not a word breaker. If he said it, he will keep his word to a thousand generations. You can believe it. He's not untrustworthy. So he told them to collect. And what he said was, I'm training you for the promised land. And in one place, he says this to them. He says, I want you to be careful. I'm teaching you this right now because when you get into the promised land, there's going to be lots of food. There's going to be milk. There's going to be honey. There's going to be fruit of all sorts. He says, when you get there... Don't forget about me. He says, don't get fat and say, we've got everything we need. We don't need him anymore. He says, because as soon as it, as easy as it came, it can all go away. He was training them to trust in him. He was bringing to them, uh, them into a land of abundance, but even an abundance to live day by day in faith. 
See, the temptation is, and this is what he told them, the temptation for you is going to be when I bless you, that you, you who were depending on me so much in the days of manna, when I bless you with abundance, then he says the temptation is going to be for you to say, oh, we've got enough now. We don't have to, we don't have to, have, we don't have to stand in faith as much. We don't have to rely as much. He said, I want to give you abundance, but don't you forget about me when you get it. And as believers, this is a big deal for us, right? And when you're leaving paycheck to paycheck, you're praying every day, God, amen, I, I know you're going to provide for me. I know you're going to put food on my table. You're my, you're my El Shaddai. You're my provider. You're coming through. You're Jehovah Jireh. I know that you're going to meet my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And yet then God blesses you. And you get so blessed that you buy that little cabin at the lake so that all summer, every weekend you're there instead of with the people of God worshiping God. Nothing wrong with a weekend at the lake, by the way. But come on, we live in a, we live in a country where people like go for a long time. Or you, your business is so blessed that you got more work you know what to do with. So you're working Wednesday nights, you're working Sunday mornings. And as easy as it came, it can go away. I'm not threatening you because God doesn't do that. But I am saying, come on, guys, it's not worth it. It's not worth losing the most important thing, which is him. Now, not that you would lose him, but it's not worth giving up the honor that's due his name. The stuff he's worthy of. It's not worth, money is a, is a stupid idol. Boats, stupid idol. I know they're fun, but they're, they make lame gods. As cool as Mickey Mouse is, he can't compare to the king of kings. Look at this. He says in verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you would not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense is going to be offered in my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations but you are profaning it and what he's saying is I'd rather shut the doors I'd rather close the gates and not take anything from you than this second third fourth best stuff that you're trying to give me He says, every nation is going to bless my name. My name will be great. And then he says this. He says in in the next verse, but you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and as for its fruit, the food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Watch what he says here because it's very important. If there was a poor man and all he had was that blemished animal, the Lord would accept it as the best. You see, it's not about what you give. It's about how you give. And what you give reflects how you give. But if there was a man that was all he had, the Lord would say, well done. I guarantee his hand would be on that man. He'd bless that man. 
But he says, you vowed a male, and you had one. You had a nice one, and he gave me your, your, your lame one. He says, that's not worth it. Now, we're going to skip a little bit ahead. Now, how many of you know through Jesus Christ we've been redeemed from the curse of the law? Thank God. So we're reading the Old Testament here. There's going to be some curse. I want you to know in Jesus you're redeemed from the curse. But did anybody want to be redeemed from the blessing? Anybody here say, I'd like to be redeemed from the blessing too? No. Jesus did not redeem you from the blessing. He redeemed you from the curse. So let's read what God will do if you can trust him. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse... Seven, from the days of your father, you've turned aside from my statutes. You've not kept them. But then watch this. Now, this is our merciful God. This is our loving God. This is our good God. Here's what he says. Return to me and I will return to you. What a wonderful God. Amen. Oh, he's just always second, third, fourth, fifth chances. He is always faithful to us. He says this. Will a man, and they, he says, but you say, how shall we return? Now they've asked a question. What's the question? How shall we, can I ask that again? What's the question? How shall we return? What's his answer? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. This is what God's promise is. He says, prove me. Prove me. I want to be proved. I want to be tested. Because I know that I'm going to come through. He says this. If you do this, watch what happens. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. Does that make sense? Does it make sense that they return to him and start giving their best again? As they give their best, what they have left is way better than what they started with. That when they give them, he talks about tithes. Now, he talks about tithes and offerings. The tithe was the start. The offerings were over and above, right? But he talks about tithes. If they were to give him 10%, that's all he was asking, 10%, he says, watch what I do with the 90%. It'll overflow. This doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, but it makes sense to us. And many of you have seen this happen in your own life. And I want you to get back to the place where you honor him. And I know many of you already do, but I want to say this again. Let's honor him. And we need to detox from the attitude that's around us that says, work, 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 or, or keep, 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 keep. And it, and it says, that doesn't make any sense. You give, I mean, come on, this, you need the best for this. Give this to God. He, he doesn't care. Or, Come on, guys, we've got a limited season here. I know in different jobs, there's, there's seasons that are important, right? There are important seasons. There's, in, in farming, there's specific seasons. And in, many of you are in uh, uh, trades, and in trades, there's specific seasons. Now, I understand there are times where you're in the middle of a job. It's impossible to get out of it. I get that. What I'm talking about is the pattern. Because for every time, God understands there are times when, you know, like Jesus said, the ox is in the ditch. He says, if the ox is in the ditch, you got to get it out of the ditch, right? But let's be honest with ourselves. Is that something you could have avoided or is that something you did because you figured, ah, it's okay. If I had to let somebody down, am I going to let this person down or am I going to let God down? And so I understand in every job there are high seasons. There's important seasons. 
I want you to know that the Lord told them, no matter what the season, you honor me first. He told them to take a year where they would not plant any seeds, not do anything on, their, on this piece of land. Every seven years, they wouldn't plant anything. Now, science today has backed that up. Little, little thing we call crop rotation is good for the land, right? They didn't know that. Here's what they thought. That's, that's a whole year I don't get to use that particular plot of land. That's stupid. I could get way more. I need that land. And God says, trust me if you will trust me. They say, I can't give you a day out of my week. My week is so important. He says, trust me. Can I ask you something? Would you get more work done if you could work 24 hours a day? Why? Because you get tired. You, you need sleep, right? Oh, no, no, no. It makes sense. If I could just stay awake, I'd get more work done. Uh-uh. It wouldn't take you but a couple days and you would collapse. You need sleep, right? So that time that you give to sleep, it may seem like a waste, but it is very, very important. The same thing goes with what we give to God. And we've got we to get back to that place where we trust him and we honor him and we believe in the supernatural and we believe in the blessing of the Lord, that the blessing of the Lord is better than the blessing of man. Oh, get back to the days of Abraham where the Bible says in Hebrews 11, he could have lived in a city with fancy buildings, but he chose instead to live in the promised land in tents because he wanted to be in the place that God had promised because he was looking for a city who has, whose builder is God, a city that was not of this world. Oh, let's get back to the place of Moses, where Hebrews 11, once again, says that Moses could have lived like a prince, but he'd rather live with the people of God who were slaves. He'd rather live with them than, than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a little bit. He'd rather live with the people of God than live as a prince in one of the greatest empires in the world. Can we get back to that? where we say, I'd far rather have your blessing than the blessing of men. For your blessing makes rich and it adds no sorrow to it. I'd much rather have the hand of the Lord on my life than the approval of the Better Business Bureau. I'd much rather have the hand of the Lord on my life than a good Yelp review. I want the blessing of the Lord. And I don't care if I have to take time off work. I don't care if I have to give my first instead of paying this first. I'm going to honor the Lord. Now, is God telling you not to pay your bills? Absolutely not. He commanded his people to be free from debt because he said the borrower is servant to the lender. And God does not want you to be servant to anybody but him. So if you're in debt, thank God. I believe God can get you out of debt. Don't be condemned and say, oh, no, I'm unworthy. No, no, trust God. He can get you out of that. Thank God. How will we return? Honor me again. Where's my honor, he says. Can we trust God? Can I tell you something? You guys know the story of Eric Little? I've told that before. Love Eric Little. Anybody seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It won an Academy Award. Back when Christian movies, like godly movies could win Academy Awards. <laughs> it was the story, true story, of a man named Eric Liddell who was the fastest man in England, in fact, at really the fastest man in the world at the time. He was a missionary to China. And uh, they called him Uncle Eric. In fact, he later died in a Japanese concentration camp at the beginning of World War II because he would not leave his Chinese church, his people. 
He could have got out, but he didn't. But in between that time, he was called up to England to run for their nation in the Olympics. And Eric kind of would rather just stay in China, but they encouraged him, this is an opportunity to glorify God. He almost missed his boat. And as his boat was getting away, he threw his suitcase on, and he jumped, and he caught the boat. And he got on there, and he got to England. And this guy could smoke everybody else. He was the fastest. The time came for the heat for the race he trained in. This is the race that he specialized in. You know, as a runner, you specialize, right? There's 100-meter sprinters, there's 200-meters, and some do both. But when you're running one race, that's your race, you know? You run a 100-meter very different than you run a 200 or 400. It's a different type of running, right? There's pacing, there's sprinting. And so, he, you know, this was his race. And the time came for a qualifying heat, and it fell on a Sunday. He said, I will not run on Lord's Day. The prince of England comes to him and says, reconsider, please. We need you. You're our guy. Run the race. He said, I will not run on the Lord's Day. So he ended up running a different race that he hadn't trained for, and he won it. Gold medal. He set a standard that honored the Lord. And as he was about to run one of his races, one of the Americans slipped him. I think in the movie it's the American runner, but I believe, if I'm correct, in the real life it was one of the trainers on the American team, slipped him a little verse before the race, and it said, it was a verse from 1 Samuel 2. It said, those that honor me, I will honor. Those that honor me, I will honor. When the Lord says, where's my honor? He could easily be asking, where's your honor? Those that honor me, I'll honor. You know where that verse comes from? Samuel was talking to Eli. And this is a shocker to you, and I hope it doesn't hurt you too much. But one of the things he said to Eli was, you've honored your kids more than you honored me. Ooh. Because so far we've been talking about work. Do you ever thought your kids don't need to be every, on, in every sport known to man? Sports are good. I, I, I played soccer, indoor, outdoor. But you know what? When it came time to play on, play on the provincial team and go, go to the tournaments, I was asked and I turned it down because that would have required me to practice on Wednesdays and play tournaments on Sundays. And I wouldn't do it. And I'm not better than you, but this is what we all got to make decisions here. We got to make priorities in our life. Can I be frank with you? Kicking a ball around is not more important to me than Jesus. It's just a ball. I knew it wasn't going to go pro. <laughs> but even if I did, so what? We put pro sports. I love sports. I like watching them. I like playing. I don't play pro sports, but <laughs> I've been asked. No, I haven't. <laughs> but I like watching. I enjoy it just as much as you do, but you know what? It's not the greatest high calling in life. If someone's called to it, then praise God, that's what they've been called to do. That's where they need to be. But we put this pressure on kids. Like if they're good enough to go pro, they have to go pro. If a kid's good enough for the NHL and he turns out to be an accountant, you think, what's wrong with your head? You're, you just, re I mean, what's wrong with your parents, child? You were good enough to go pro. Who says that being a pro stick man is more important than being an accountant? In what reality? One is not greater than the other. Of course, probably 
Oh, never mind. (laughs) There's nothing that outranks his place in our life. So Eli, he said, you've honored your sons more than you've honored me. Many parents, I I understand your kids are your your first church. They're, They're your first ministry. You need to pour into them. You need to love them. But do you know what? I've seen this. I grew up in the youth group. Do you know what I saw? I saw the kids that were there were blessed, and they got on fire for Jesus, and Jesus changed their life. But there were kids that their parents were taking them to to this and that and this and that, thinking that those things were going to make them more well-rounded and a better kid. And do you know what? They came back later and said, what happened to my kid? They used to love the Lord. Now, now they're just off doing stuff. And I'll tell you, I don't know all the answers, but I know part of it was you told them all these things were more important than God. You trained them to not give him first place. Don't be surprised when they run away later on. I don't mean run away from home. Please don't think I'm bringing fear to you. But I'm saying don't be surprised when they don't have that relationship with Jesus. You thought they did. You trained them that this was more important than God, and so was this, and so was this. I don't mean to be hard on you. I want to encourage you same time if you feel the holy spirit's poking you don't fight the poke don't resist rebuke but but embrace it and say all right lord you can change me you can help me because today i say everything i'm going to say because i love you and i love this church i love the word and i love god above all i love him and uh There are times when we have to say, we will honor him, first and foremost. We will honor the Lord. If there's nothing else we do, we honor him. We pray for you regularly. Every time those people go back and count the offering at the the end of the service, they pray over you. They pray over your businesses. We we trust that God is going to provide your needs. Let me tell you this. I am with you. I'm on your team. But if you need to hear it today, hear it today. You give him first place. You honor him. If it doesn't make sense to your neighbors, if it doesn't make sense to your business associates, if it doesn't make sense to your employees or your employers, if it doesn't make sense to your friends, that's okay. They don't get it, that's okay. You give him what he asks, he'll bless everything else. You give him the six days, he'll... You give them the one day. Now, we know we give them every day, right? And the scripture says in the New Testament, he says, if one man says one day is to the Lord, another man says every day is to the Lord, they're both right. But there is a, there is a, a concept of Sabbath rest. I know we've entered into the eternal Sabbath rest of Jesus Christ according to the book of Hebrews. But there's a concept there that you give God the first day. Now, I'm not going to get anywhere legal, near legalistic on that. But what I am saying is the concept is, is solid. You honor God with the first, he blesses the rest of it. We need to start thinking supernaturally again. We need to start thinking that God can do more with the little bit than he can do with, you know, I mean, God can do more with the 90 than you could have done with 100. God can do more with the 6 than you could have done with the 7. God can do more with uh, your, your herd of 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 not quite the best because you sacrifice the best, he'll make them the best. We need to trust God and honor him. Where is my honor? I want to be able to say it's right here. There's honor in this place for the Lord. Now, as, as direct as I've been, I admire so many of you because you've made that decision. And I've seen it in your life 
And I want to tell you, I respect you for it and I love you for it. Let's not let up. Let's give the Lord his honor, his due. You know, there was a time, I was, I was telling some folks last night, I remember driving by the Lloyd Mall and seeing a big banner on the side of the mall that says, for one of the stores, it says, now open on Sundays. It's weird to think that that was rare back then. But we have reached a place where society says there is nothing holy to the Lord. We got to claim it back. I don't care what the world does. It is not, the Bible says it's not my job to judge the world. That's not my job to pick it out outside of Zellers or Shopping Shop. They can do whatever they want. That's not my business. If they're not going to church, they might as well be working. I don't know. I don't care. I mean, like, if they're not going to honor God, then what's the difference between doing that and sleeping in? But as believers, we're different. Let's honor the Lord. If we got to detox from the world around us and just do things totally different, let's do things totally different. Let's be the different ones that prove to the world that this does not make sense. I don't know how you guys are, are being blessed like that. I don't know how you're surviving. I don't know how you're prospering. And we go, we know. We gave God his due, and he blessed the rest. We give God his first in our time, first in our hearts, first in our affections. He's the first thought I, you need to think of when you wake up in the morning. He's the last thought you need to go to bed thinking about. You need to give him the time during the day, not just Sundays and Wednesdays, but the time during the day and honor him. If you need to get up in the morning an hour earlier, do it. If you need to go to bed an hour later, do it. But whatever you do, give him some time because in that period of time, you don't know what he can do. I'm going to tell you one more story and then we're done. Is that okay? Elijah was super excited. He came down the mountain. He had defeated the prophets of Baal. He had called down fire from heaven. He won. And he was not just, not just that, but on his way down, it hadn't rained for three years. He spoke to the sky, said, rain. It started to rain. And right before it really started to come down, and when it really started to pour, he outran the king's chariot down the mountain. Those are three big things. But he gets to the bottom of the mountain. He starts to say, I'm going to die. I'm the only, I want to die. I'm the only one. I'm nobody else. He was a bit manic depressive. He was a bit bipolar. And so he goes from the high to the very low. He says, I'm the only one here. I'm by myself. Jezebel still wants to kill me. And the Lord says to him, sends an angel and says, come, meet me on the mountain. And Elijah hikes up this mountain. He gets there. He pulls his cloak over his head because all of a sudden there is a sound of a mighty wind. But God's not in it. There's a sound of an earthquake, but God's not in it. There's a sound of fire, or there's a, there is fire, but God's not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire. But he hears this small voice, and he knows it's God. And God says to him, I'm going to give you three names. Write them down. Elisha, I want to give you the future king of Aram, and I want you to talk to a man named Jehu. One of these guys was going to be his helper and his successor. One of these guys was going to lead another nation, a neighbor of Israel. And one of these guys was going to be the new king of God's people. In one little meeting with God, he got the direction for the rest of his life. All of those problems he went up the mountain with, he went down with them solved. What could God do with the time you give them during a day. You think you need to have one more business meeting? Why don't you have a meeting with the master? See what he does. See what he tells you. 
It's worth it. Honor the Lord. Let's honor him, amen.